And uh, we continue in this series in the book of Malachi. And uh, I think I gave this challenge to you a few weeks ago when I preached. Um, if you haven't yet read through the book of Malachi, I would, I would highly encourage you to do that. It only takes about 15 minutes to, to do it if you, if you sit down and just read from, from start to finish. So it doesn't take that long, but to, to get an idea of everything that God is saying in this book and all the themes that are woven throughout it. And uh, if you want an even greater challenge that I would pose to you, and this is one that I am trying to do as well, read the book of Malachi every week as we go through this series. Become masters of the content of this book. Let it just pierce into you. So when, we, when myself or Pastor or Steve or whoever stands up here and opens to Malachi, you know what's coming next. You know what's coming next. And let it be a blessing to you as, as we study it together. But the first couple chapters of Malachi, as, as I've pointed out before, can be, can be difficult to take in because it has a lot of things that, that really speak to our conscience. It has a lot of things that really speak to our sinfulness as, as fallen people. And it can be hard for us to take it in. The first couple chapters here deal with proper worship of Yahweh, the offerings being given to him, the sacrifices being made in his name, and uh, are they acceptable or not? And we see that they are not acceptable. Uh, they, the, they should be rejected by the priests. And so it all comes down to this idea of our worship should be honoring to God. We should honor God in everything we do, but when we gather together as a body, as we gather together to worship, is that worship acceptable to God? Do we give God what he requires of us? Do we give God what he commands us to give him? Do we worship God in the way that he requires us to worship him? To, to give a little picture here, my wife's birthday was last week, uh, last weekend. We don't really do the whole gifts for birthdays. We just kind of, if we need a new washing machine or something like that, we'll just kind of get a new washing machine that counts for both me and her for our birthdays, whether we like it or not. But if my wife decided to come to me and say, hey, this year for my birthday, I really want um, a nice watch. Really want a nice watch. Here's one that I specifically want. It has all the features that I need and desire for it. And so I go out, and uh, when I go out to, to shop, I like to window shop a little bit too. So I go to Guitar Center, and I'm looking at the beautiful wall of guitars, most of which I will never have. But I see one that's just beautiful. It's in Dalton's favorite color. And so I think, Okay, Dalton loves me. I love guitars. This one's her favorite color. So she will love this if I get this for her for her birthday. So I buy it. I use the money that I would spend on the watch, and I bring it home, and I gift it to her. Dalton doesn't know how to play guitar. She doesn't want to know how to play guitar. She takes no pleasure in the amount of guitars that I have at home, and now there's only one more if this story were true. But I say, but I was thinking about you. My heart was in the right place. I still got you a gift. It's your favorite color. All of these things I'm thinking only of you. 
but it would be an unacceptable gift to give her. It has no meaning to her. It's not what she desired of me as her husband. And all illustrations fall short, but God has told us what he requires of us in our worship. God has told us what will be acceptable to him. So when we think of honoring God, when we think of worshiping God, are we worshiping God how we want to worship God? Or are we worshiping God in the way that he has told us how we should worship him? God is the one who sets the standard for our worship. So if you still have your Bibles open to Malachi chapter 2, we'll look at there, but we'll ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word this morning. Father in heaven, we are privileged to be here this morning. None of us are here um, by our own wills and our own doing, Lord, but it is your will. You have called us to yourself. You have shown us mercy and kindness that we do not deserve. And Lord, we desire to worship you and honor you in the way that you have called us to. So, Father, as we study your word, as we study uh, your prophet Malachi in the way that you spoke through him, would you open our hearts, would you open our minds to you and the truth that you have revealed to us in this wonderful, wonderful message. Father, I pray that you would get me out of the way, keep me from error. I pray that I would decrease so that Christ may increase. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first question that I would have for everybody here today is, do we fear God? Do we fear God like we should? So uh, Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says that that the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so one who does not fear God is a fool. The world is foolish. Anyone who worships another being, not that there is any, but who worships something or someone other than Yahweh, other than the God of the Bible, is foolish. And this is the difference between a Christian and the world. See, the fear for a Christian is is reverence, is awe of God, knowing what God could do to us and should do to us because of our sins but doesn't do to us because of the person and work of Jesus Christ who died in our place and rose. We do not fear the punishment of God. We do not fear the wrath of God that was taken on Christ on our behalf. But we know what God can do to us, and we give him honor for that. We give him honor because he is the God of the universe. We give him honor because he is the one who created all things, who made us in his image. But the world, as long as they remain in unbelief and in rebellion against the God of the universe, the fear of the Lord is the wrath of God, for they're under the wrath of God. They have everything to fear. And Here in our passage today, in Malachi chapter 2, if we look at verses 4 through 5, it says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Levi feared God. 
And the Levites were the, the priestly line, and I think we all know that. But this, it talks of covenant here. And this is not a covenant that we're usually bringing up in our church circles. We, we can talk about the Adamic covenant or the Noahic covenant or the new covenant or the covenant of works or whatever it might be. But how often do you hear about the covenant made with Levi when we get together and we, we talk about this? Um, but one commentator, and we, we read in our responsive reading uh, referring to this, but one co- a commentator says, The covenant referred to here no doubt pertains to the one made with Phinehas, a grandson of Aaron who at a crisis point in Israel's spiritual life showed himself mightily on behalf of the Lord when the Hebrews encamped on the plains of Moab they became enticed by the Baalism of the area, and some began to involve themselves in lascivious idolatry. Baal is a common entity, name, demon that we hear about in the Old Testament. And the Israelites would often, when they would turn from God, would turn to this god, Baal. Now, Baal, to just give you a little bit of context here, was a fertility god. He was the object of much worship, and it was usually of a sexual nature. Baal is also often paired with a god named Moloch. Moloch uh, is the god who many would offer their own children as a sacrifice to. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord and what the world looks like when the fear of the Lord is not there, we usually see the Baal worship come back and the Moloch worship come back into our communities and our world. We have rampant sex, sexual immorality in our world today. Abortion is the hot-button topic of Politics of social discussions and all that. It's no different than, it, than what it was back then now. The spirit of Baal and the spirit of Moloch is still well and good in the world today because we do not fear Yahweh, because we do not fear the Lord. And the world shows this to us every day by being so upfront about this. And being in our faces about this, even churches, even people who profess Christianity will, will loosen their stance on these issues. But if the world does not condemn this act, if the, fa- if the state fails to work as the state should, to uphold righteousness, to, to give honor to good and to punish evil, the church needs to be the beacon of light. The church needs to speak reason into a reasonless world. The church should be fearing God. And the question I have is, does the church fear God today? Do you fear God the way that you should? If Phinehas was, was indeed who Malachi is referring to here, he did what was necessary to honor the name of Yahweh. If we look back at Numbers chapter 25 for just a moment, we see this this played out of what's being talked about here. It says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with their daughters of Moab. These invited the people to sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. 
So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. While they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting, while Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into, his, into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague of the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Now, I'm not suggesting here before you go out. I'm not suggesting that we are to go on a crusade with spears and try and fight the evil of the world in such a way. But in the context of our world and culture, the question is, are we willing to do what is necessary in order to honor the name of God? Are we living like Christ could return at any moment? I think for many, the answer is no. It's human nature, so to speak, the sinful nature that is still a part of us that says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, if that's true, and tomorrow we do die, what's the reality that comes with that? If we are bought with the precious blood of Christ, we should be living and worshiping as if we've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Now, we've mentioned the past few, few times here that this section of Malachi is directed towards the priests, and that is true, and that, that is the context by which it's in. But we've also established that we as Christians, as we as the church, we are a, a kingdom of priests, different from the Old Testament to be sure, but we are still called a kingdom of priests. And it is all of our responsibilities, as we are called by the name of the Lord, as we are called to be obedient to Christ, we are called to honor God. And we must honor God in how we live, in how we worship, in everything we do, we give glory to God and His name. We worship Him as He has instructed us to do so. And so we look at this difference between what we do in our worship, going back to the beginning, what we do in our worship versus what God requires us to do. So the priests, in my last message, let unacceptable sacrifices through. People would bring these sacrifices and the priests would offer them and the Lord would reject them because they weren't acceptable to him based on what he had commanded in his law. There was uh, talk about the, the innards, the nasty parts of the insides, that God says, I'll rub that on your face and cast you out from camp. Because it, it seems to be that the priests were offering these animals with those, those parts still inside of them, which the law said to take those and burn them outside the camp. And so the priests who would offer them, God says, I will cast you outside the camp. You should be out there because you're doing this. They were not honoring God as they should. If we don't honor God in what we bring to him, in the offerings we make, in the worship that we give, we run risk of the spirit of Cain. We all know the story 
Abel and Cain, they come to bring offerings to God. And Abel, his profession was a uh, tender, tending the flock. Cain's profession was a worker of the ground. And they both brought offerings to the Lord. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, while Cain brought some of what he had grown. And when God does not accept Cain's sacrifice, Cain is dejected and he's, his face is turned down. And God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? There's the, the implying here that there was a standard set. Even before the law was given, Cain and Abel both knew what would be acceptable to the Lord. And Abel brought forth an acceptable offering, while Cain did not. Now, there's debate here on why that was the case. And some say that it's because Abel offered uh, a blood sacrifice. Okay, that, that could be true. And that the reason Cain's was not acceptable is because he brought offering from the ground. But if we look at the law, we know that there were acceptable offerings that could have been brought from the ground. There were grain offerings and, and so forth. So we don't know what the purpose of their offering was. If it was a sin offering, then it would have needed to be a blood offering. But we can speculate there. But the point, the point here is that Abel's worship was in line with what God had required of him, and Cain's was not. And we know this later on in the New Testament, it says that Cain's deeds were evil. We want to stay as far away from this place as possible. We do not want to offer unacceptable worship to God. We do not want to be a part of the spirit of Cain. There were sacrifices and offerings being made long before the law was given, so there was no real excuse on why some of these weren't acceptable. Cain and Abel, like we just said, Job offered sacrifice to the Lord, Noah and Abraham. No law was given, but there was still no excuse on why they weren't acceptable. And there are people that argue today, well, there are baby Christians that maybe they don't know how to worship. Maybe they, they don't worship God in the way God requires because they, they don't know what they're doing. And I can see the argument there, but it all still goes back to the context of our message here, of our passage here. If we look at verses 6 and 7, it says, True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. We deal with pragmatic worship today in many churches. It has nothing to do with scripture. It does not take into consideration God's law or what he requires. The only purpose of it is to entertain, to get people to come in, to, to fill up the seats. Um, a few weeks ago, there was a, I'll give you a, a few examples here. A few weeks ago, there was a story going around on social media, and it was a megachurch that decided to host a Joy Story worship service. And if that kind of sounds like Toy Story, you're correct. It was a Toy Story themed worship service. Now, I like that movie as much as the next guy, but it doesn't belong as the front and center, or even at all, in a worship service of God. They took the stories of the Bible, and they put novelty on it as a kid's show, 
and tried to present that to entertain people, to get people drawn in. It was not worship. It was entertainment. Just last week, another church for Halloween service did an Adams Family church service. I didn't look too far into what that was, but I can imagine it was a lot of, a lot of the same stuff as the Toy Story service. There's no worship going on here. And this happens more and more in the churches in order to draw people in, in order to say, hey, come, come try out Jesus. Come see what we're doing. Look how clever we are. Look what we do. There's no honor. There's no acceptable worship going on. And it's the pastors and the leaders of the church that are responsible to tell us what the Bible says, to teach us what the Bible says. And so if people don't know how to worship God, if you come into a church and you see just entertainment going on, we can look at the pastor and we can look at the elders and we can know what's the priority for them. Is it true honor of the Lord or is it just trying to get people in? There's a perversion of worship going on. I'll use one more example here from from scripture that, that I've heard many services dedicated to. But it's, it's what's about your heart. Is your heart in the right place? If your heart is in the right place, then God will accept your worship because he knows your heart. Well, there's a story in the Old Testament of a guy named Uzzah. When David is wanting to move the ark back to Jerusalem, he puts it on a new cart, which if you know the requirements that God has for moving the ark, you should have a red flag going up right there that they placed it on a cart. God gave very specific examples of how the ark was to be moved. So they put it on the cart, and the oxen go. One of the oxen stumbles, and the cart wobbles, and Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady the ark, and he drops dead. Now Some might say, well, his heart was in the right place. He just didn't want this holy thing of God the, where, where the Ten Commandments were, were stored, where, where the mercy seat was. He didn't want that falling to the ground. His heart was in the right place. But the problem is, God said no one was to touch the ark. He gave very clear instructions on how the ark was to be transported and handled, and Uzzah disregarded those. And I can't, I don't have the quote in front of me directly here, but... R.C. Sproul makes uh, a quote that says that the filthiness, the sinfulness of Uzzah's hands was far worse than the dirt of the ground that the ark would have fallen upon. But when the leadership of a church doesn't communicate proper worship to the congregants, to the sheep, we breed more unacceptable worship. We make worship about our own emotions and our own feelings rather than what the Word of God says. And we, church, as image bearers of God, were made to worship God. Uh, Cicero of the first century uh, BC said that worship was a universal trait of man. That we're either going to worship God as the one true God or we're going to find something or someone else to worship. This is the reason idolatry is such a big issue in the world today, is because if we're not going to worship the one true God, we're going to find something else to put our worship towards. 
And the Bible tells us that we're to worship in spirit and in truth. And so the only people who can worship in spirit and in truth are Holy Spirit-filled people, as with the Bible as our instruction. Teachings of Christ is what the foundation of our worship should be. Uh, in 2 John 1.9 says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Deuteronomy 12.32 says, Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. And then again in Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And then if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. If you're here today, and you're wondering why we do the things that we do here at church, this is why. We try and do our best to honor God in doing what he requires of us to do in our worship, to worship truly in spirit and in truth, to, to follow the instruction given to us. And there are many uh, instructions given in many ways that we take to form our church service. Uh, one of those things is prayer. Prayer is an essential part of a church service. And if you've been coming here for a while, you know we pray quite a bit in the church service. And that's because God calls us to. If we're going to be here to worship God, then we need to acknowledge him. We need to talk to him. We need to give him the praise that is due to him. And God has made that through prayer. We have an intercessor. We have one who, who intercedes for us, who is Christ. We sing songs here to the glory of God. Sing. If you're here and you're a Christian, sing. Sing loud. Sing joyfully. We're here celebrating a risen Christ, one who is no longer dead but alive. And so much we come into a church and it sounds like a morgue. Sing, church. This is, this is a, um, what I'm hoping to be an encouraging plea to you which is why I chose normal songs this time and not... Uh, <laughs> uh, and especially men, lead your families. Let your children see you singing in worship. That's something that's lacks in so many worship services, is men don't sing. You don't have to be a good singer. Okay? It says make a joyful noise to the Lord, not a good noise to the Lord. Again, that's a joke. You can laugh. Uh, <laughs> We read scripture here. The reading of scripture is essential to a worship service, and we read a lot of scripture here. Uh, there's the call to worship. There's the responsive reading. There's the scripture read before the message. We sing hymns here. So this goes back with the singing and joy. We sing hymns because they're rich with theology. Woven into these hymns is scripture. It's not the mindless music that is played in so many churches today that have nothing to do with Scripture. The Word of God is proclaimed from the pulpit. We participate in the Lord's Supper. So All of this, none of it is made up. None of it is stuff that pastor or the elders sat down and decided we should try this someday. 
and see if it catches on. But they're governed by the word of God. They see what God has called us to be as a church, and they look at what God requires us to do in worship, and they devote themselves to being honorable to that. Do we get it all right? No. No church is going to get it all right. There are errors in our own worship, and if we knew about them, I'm sure we would fix them. But sometimes we don't know. But we try and be faithful to what God has called us to be, to the church that he calls us to be. Finally, again, if we go back to verse 5, it's not just about fear. Fear of the Lord is is the beginning of wisdom. But where does fear lead us as Christians, as a church? It says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. The fear of the Lord produces life and peace. Life is not necessarily physical. Some of us will live to be a ripe old age, and others will not. But if we look at the testimony of the apostles and the martyrs and the persecuted church, we know that physical Safe life is not always what is promised to us, but life eternal is promised to us. All of us are going to die. This is one of those things that I, I, maybe not today, who knows, world's weird, but 10 out of 10 doctors usually agree that we're going to die one day, okay? And all of us are going to spend eternity somewhere, and there's only one way to life There's only one truth of what life is, and there is only one life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be very careful not to be like Israel and turn to idols to try and make worship what we want it to be, but rather make worship what God calls us to do. Mary cannot save you. Allah is no God at all. The foolish ways of men will only lead you into deeper and more foolishness. But by Christ's death, there is life for you and for me and anyone who puts their trust into him. And our hope is not in his death. His death was necessary as the sacrifice for our sins. But our hope is placed in the resurrection of Christ. That he is no longer dead, but he is alive, and we look to him, and we look to the future of life and what is offered to us by Christ. Our hope is in life, the life of Christ. And then there's also peace. You might say, how? How is there peace? When I think of my own sinfulness that I still battle with every single day of my life, when I look at the world and the stuff going on in our own country, beyond our borders, there's conflict everywhere. How can there be peace when I have this anxiety that just sits in my heart? Peace is not necessarily with the world. We are in conflict with the world. The world hates us because of our testimony with Christ. But the peace is our peace with God. That we are no longer under the wrath of God. We are no longer facing an eternity of hell. 
but we can stand before the God of the universe because of what Christ has done. And we can have peace with the Almighty God. When we face the conflicts of the world, when we face the dangers and all the uncertainty, our hope is not placed in ourselves. Our hope is not placed in a leader or a governor or a president or a king of, or whatever. Our hope is placed in Christ and that we have peace to stand before God guiltless because of the righteousness of Christ being put upon us. And there's no better comfort, church, to know than your sins are forgiven. When I look back at my sin, my past sins, the sins I still struggle with, and yes, there will be times I'm going to sin in the future, but so are you. When we look at that, it can be very easy to be beaten down and to lose hope. But when we know that our sins in Christ, past, present, and future, are washed by the blood of the Lamb, we will know true peace with God. And it's only through Christ you can have this true and everlasting peace with the holy and almighty God. So I call you today to repent of your sins if you have not, to believe on the name of Jesus Christ and make him your Lord, your Savior, and your King because he is whether you want him to be or not. But he will be a merciful king or he will be a king who comes in judgment. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ and you can have peace and you are granted life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth that comes with your gospel. That we were guilty before you. That we stood in a place where we were to be judged by you for our sins, for coming against you as a holy God. But Father, you sent your Son the only true sacrifice for sins, to take our place, to die for us, and then you raised him to life that we might have hope in eternal life with him forever. Father, we thank you for giving us the things that we do not deserve. And Father, if there is anyone here who does not know that peace, I pray that you would open their hearts, that they would see that Christ is the only way, and Lord, may our worship be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name.